So if you guys want to open your Bibles uh, to Second Timothy, we're going to look at first chapter this morning. And you know, as you're <clears throat> as you're turning there, I wanted to just share for a minute, just a little bit more along the lines of what Greg was sharing with you guys. Just um, Katie and I, we have been, I guess, involved in missions now for 10 years, uh, almost 10 years, and uh, we've helped start one Calvary Chapel in Central Asia, and, you know, during the time uh, that we kind of felt like the Lord had moved us on from helping start that Calvary in Central Asia, we, we spent a couple years in England just seeking the Lord for what He had for us next, and it was really during that time that uh, we prayed a lot about other Muslim countries, um, having seen God do a great work in Central Asia amongst the, the Kyrgyz people, the Muslim people group there, we kind of realized, you know, a lot of the, the places that we think of as maybe unreachable or uh, closed to the gospel, we, we really realized that maybe some of these places aren't so closed. And so we, basically just reading about different countries that um, were... Muslim places, we, we really felt the Lord draw us specifically to Cyprus for, for lots of reasons. One, just it was so open. Um, you know, there was religious freedom there. It was a, a Muslim country, but there was hardly any missionaries there. Um, but it seemed possible that we could go and, and actually start a church there, that we have the freedom to do that. And so took a trip out there, spent a week um, visiting different people on the island and um, really felt like the Lord confirmed during that trip that that was where He wanted us. And so we've been there for about 18 months. Uh, we moved there at the beginning of 2014. And uh, we're just in the beginning stages, you know, of language learning. And uh, we, we have started a, a Bible study now, and the Lord's provided us a building right downtown to meet in. And uh, we, you know, we're seeing the Lord save people, and that's exciting for us to, to go into a place where there is no other Bible-teaching church and uh, virtually no Christians. You know, the Turkish people are 99% Muslim, so um, to see God saving people in the, this the beginning phases of this new church is really exciting for us. So um, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at First Timothy chapter 1, but as we go through it, it's not going to be maybe as much in detail as we would if we were going through a series um, because I want to just kind of step away at certain times and just share some of the things that are going on in Cyprus, how the Lord's working, so as to give you guys an opportunity to just pray for us and, and, and understand a little bit of what God's doing there. So um, let me pray, and then we'll just look at, at the first chapter together. Lord, thanks for this morning, and thank you just for the chance that we can be here, that you've... Uh, provided a place for us to meet, and Lord, that you've uh, drawn us by your Holy Spirit together just to study your word, and that uh, we have this wonderful privilege of knowing you and knowing you through your word, and uh, we just pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and to understand your truth, and Lord, we know that without you to help us, we're not going to understand it, and so we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would just open our eyes to see your truth, and Lord, to help us know how we can use it, how we can apply it, and just use it day to day in our life. So we just pray your blessing on this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read the uh, first couple of verses and, and then we'll, we'll get, in, get into the word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Paul, you know, I don't know how many of you guys have studied this book before. Um, have you guys done second, or first and second Timothy? No. So, you'll get there eventually if you haven't studied it before now. Um, one of the things I love about Calvary Chapel, if you stay around long enough, you get to go through every book in the Bible. You know, how many churches do that? So simple, and yet nobody does it. So I love that about the church. Um, but anyway, you know, Paul, Paul writes this letter to, to Timothy, um, a young man. You know, Paul's, a, Paul's an older, more experienced church planter and missionary, and he's writing to encourage this young guy who's, we believe, to be around the age of 30, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And, you know, it wasn't an easy place to be. That church has six letters of the New Testament written to it. Um, a lot of the reason because they had lots of problems with false doctrine and false teachers coming into the church. But Paul writes to this young man to encourage him in his role as pastor and leading that church. Um, but, you know, Paul is always so, such an encouragement to me um, and just his, his zeal and his excitement in the way he served the Lord as a missionary and a church planter and uh, just encourages me. Um, and you see that if you, if you look historically, he was probably you know, one of the most influential missionaries that's ever lived. Um, impacted the world in great ways, planted many churches, um, wholeheartedly served God, you could say, successfully, probably more successfully than any person we know of. But yet he writes this letter from the bottom of a prison in Rome. You know, Here is this guy who's fully committed himself to following God and um, doing the things that, he, that God, the Lord's put in his heart. And yet at the end of his life, he's completely alone, deserted by everyone. You know, verse 15 tells us everyone in Asia had left him. So at the end of his ministry and the end of his life, he was completely unsupported, about to die, about to be beheaded. And yet, he says, by the will of God, and then in, in verse 3, I thank God. Um, there's no guarantees, you know. There's no guarantees that when a person fully gives their life to following the Lord and gives herself over to uh, serving him, that that won't happen, is there, you know? Um, a lot of times we don't think about it that way. We think in terms of, you know, maybe I'll, I'll walk with God for so many years, I'll, I'll work, I'll retire, you know, I'll have a nice retirement or whatever. That wasn't what happened for Paul, was it? He ended up um, giving his life for the gospel. Um, and, as I, you know, as I think about that, I think a lot of the things that, one of the major things that I believe Paul was able to do that is a challenge, you know, day to day is, you know, he says in Acts, I don't count my life dear to myself, but I, I continue on. You know, he basically took the, the words and the challenge, the command of Jesus very seriously when Jesus said, the person who loses his life will find it. You know, he was able to really say to the Lord, you know what, whatever I have, whatever I am, I'm yours, do what you want with me. And, you know, when that happens, when a person does that, I believe then the Lord is actually able to bless and use 
their life to the full. And I, I think the Lord did that for Paul, you know? Although, yeah, he, he counted some costs, he endured some things that were probably not very pleasant in his lifetime, you know, beaten, shipwrecked, beheaded. You know, I believe he lived a very satisfying, fulfilling life. But why? Because he didn't try to hold on to his own life. He let go of it. And in doing that, you know what? I believe he really found it. Um, what an encouragement to, to, and a challenge, you know, to, to look at our own lives and think, Lord, what am I still holding on to? You know, am I trying to serve you and walk with you and hold on to my life at the same time? You know, we're really good at that. You know, Lord, I'll serve you in this way and I'll walk with you and do what you want as long as I can still have this over here on the side to fall back on or, you know, to bring myself some security. You know, what a great challenge. You know, are we really said to the Lord, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to lose my life every day. Am I, am I willing to, to give myself over to you each day when I wake up and to follow you wholeheartedly? Um, and, you know, the other thing that encourages me when I read through that and I study through this letter, thinking about Paul and thinking about Timothy, they were two completely different people. Paul was this zealous guy who, you know, suffered physical persecution, ended up beheaded, beheaded for the gospel, Timothy, from what we know about him, really wasn't that kind of person. Younger, more timid. You know, Paul's going to say in a couple of verses, kindle afresh the gift of God that's in you, because this guy was probably timid, not this zealot that Paul was. But you know what? God called Timothy to pastor this church in Ephesus, and God used Timothy to lead and to pastor those people. And why is it an encouragement to me? And I... I, I probably will be to you as well, because we're not all Paul, you know? We're not all these zealous people that are willing to go and, and suffer and endure things the way that Paul does, necessarily. You know, God might not call us all to do that, but you know what? He can use any kind of personality for his kingdom, to bring fruit into his kingdom. And I really, I appreciate that because I'm not a Paul, you know? I am a 30-year-old guy. I'm not a 50, 60-year-old, um, super experienced missionary. Um, but God can use any one of us who give ourselves to him to be used. And that's encouraging for me. So whatever personality you are, however the Lord's made you, you know what? He can use you. He can use you to do great things for his kingdom. So be encouraged in that. Um, so let's, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 3 to 7. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Or your translation might say, of a sound mind. Um, but man, you know, Paul, sitting in this prison, the first thing he says is, I thank God. You know, you might say, well, he's not thanking God for the circumstances and everything. You know, I think it's amazing that he could thank God at all. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I, that would be me if I was sitting there. But he says, I thank God. Um, whom I serve. And, you know, he says that he's praying for Timothy. Man, what an amazing example. Here's this guy. He's about to lose his own life, and he's using his time 
in this prison to pray for another younger guy who still has years ahead of him to serve the Lord. He's continuing to pour himself out and pour himself into the life of this younger man. You know, we don't always think about these two letters, First and Second Timothy, um, being written to individuals, but that's exactly what they are. It wasn't Paul to the world, Paul to the Ephesian church. It was Paul to a young guy. He was investing in the life of this young guy um, to help him continue in the faith. But he says, I long to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Um, so he's wanting to be with him. And then you get down to verse 6 and he says, for this reason, because he knows that this gift is in Timothy, he says, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know, Paul was aware of the faith and the call that was in and upon this young guy named Timothy who was pastoring the church. He was aware of it. He says, I know that this gift is in you. And because of that, he's encouraging him to do what? To not shy away from using that gift of God that had been given to him. What gift was it? We're not told. Probably that gift of pastoring and shepherding the people in Ephesus. Seems likely. But he's encouraging him to really use and to walk in that gifting and in that calling. Um, now why? You know, why would Paul write to this young guy and encourage him not to shy away from his call and from using his gifting? Why do you think? I mean, why, why do you encourage someone to do something? It's probably because they're discouraged from doing it. You know, think about the letters. There was a first Timothy five years before this was written. It's dealing with really all the same things that Paul deals with in this letter. A young guy wanting to quit, wanting to give up. Why did he want to quit? Because he was in a place where he was constantly dealing with opposition by guys described as wolves that raised up themselves from within the church and were teaching false doctrine. You know, how... How much does that wear on a person? You know, put yourself in Timothy's shoes for a second. To have to be constantly dealing with opposition and conflict within the church with people that you're working with day to day. You know, how I mean, make it real for, for, uh, for yourself. Have you ever lived with a group of people like in communal living, Bible college, dorm, and you got one guy that won't wash the dishes? You know, have you been there? I've been there. So you got one guy that won't wash the dishes, so what do you do? Okay, listen, Josh, you got to wash the dishes. Problem solved, right? Oh, what do you know? Next day, he still didn't wash the dishes. Josh, could you please wash the dishes? Remember, I asked you, not, I asked you to wash them yesterday, but you still haven't done it. Could you start doing that? So, you know, think about months of that. What do you want to do after, like, a week or two weeks, three weeks? Okay, just whatever. I'll wash the dishes, right? I'll do it. Just... I don't want to have the conflict. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So think about five years for Timothy of saying to these guys, listen, you can't teach false doctrine. Please stop leading people astray. Please stop teaching false doctrine the next month. You know, that would be so wearing. Of course the guy wants to give up. So Paul's saying to him, look, although things are hard, you need to kindle that gift of God afresh in yourself, and you need to continue to walk in what God has called you to do. Um... I want to just share a little bit about what um, one of the things you can pray for us, really, on this note um, in Cyprus. You know, because it's a a Muslim country, um, we're free to be there, um, although it is a Muslim country, uh, but they don't necessarily want us there, if that makes sense. You know, by law, they can't make us leave, but 
they're not necessarily happy that we're doing what we're doing. And so, you know, for, for me personally, I think for our family, one of the things that <clears throat> is a little bit wearing is just the fact that anytime we do any kind of evangelism or an outreach, um, practically that means that, you know, I have to go to a police station, I have to let the guy know who's monitoring our family and what we're doing. I have to tell him what we're doing, where we're doing it, what's going to happen at the event. And then he's going to send a guy down to kind of get in the way, harass us a little bit, intimidate people. And so that, for us, that just gets kind of wearing, you know, knowing that every time we have to do anything as far as outreach and taking the gospel out, we're going to have to deal with that. Um, so, and we're not in danger. I don't want to paint any kind of you know, unrealistic picture. These guys just want to know what we're doing in their country. I understand that. Um, but you could pray for us just that we would not let that gift of God and that call of God on our lives to go and take the gospel there grow cold and grow timid within us because we fear man. You know, I don't ever want to be in a place where we just are drawing back because we don't want to deal with opposition. There's always going to be opposition to the gospel because it has the power to change people and to change their lives. You know, that's why the enemy is using any means he can, police, culture, media, to oppose it. So pray for us that we wouldn't shy away from the call of God on our lives, but that we would continue to, um, to press forward and to, to be kindling that, that gift and that call to walk in it wholeheartedly. And it would be a blessing for us if you could pray for us in that. Um, but also, you know, for each one of us, what has God called you to do? You know, what has he put within your heart? You know, maybe it's right here within this church body. What do you see that could be a blessing for the church that nobody else sees? You know, have you taken out, taken a step of faith out to walk in it, to see what God might do with it? Shared it with Pastor Greg. Um, but whatever gift, whatever call that God has on your life, whatever he's putting in your heart, are you being faithful to walk in it? And maybe it's something that you used to use, you used to do months ago, years ago, and you thought, oh, this is great. And for whatever reason, it's, you know, you've stopped using that gift. You've stopped walking in that call. Come back to the Lord. Rekindle that gift. Give yourself and that area of your life back over to him and ask him to use you again in that. Um, verse 8, he says, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Um, that's his reason, isn't it? You know, that's the reason that Paul... Um, or excuse me. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and go on to verse 8. We'll read from verse 8 all the way down to, to 14, actually. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord <clears throat> or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Um, you know, there's a lot in there. <clears throat> and like I said, we're not going to hit everything, but <clears throat> I think part of the, 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 really the main point that Paul is getting at isn't necessarily there in verse 8 when he says, you know, join with me in suffering. It's not that he wants Timothy to, 
and do exactly everything that he's doing and, and suffer physically. That's not the point. I think more of the point is duplicate the life that you have seen me live. The things that you have seen me do, walk in the same way. Imitate the way that I have lived. The godly example that you have seen me demonstrate, that's what you need to now be demonstrating as a pastor and as a leader of those people in Ephesus. Um, and you know, I want to talk about discipleship for a minute um, for a couple reasons. One, um, that's what this book is about, Paul to Timothy. It's about an older man investing in a younger man's life. But also, Matthew 28 commissions every one of us in this room to be involved in the process of disciple-making, involved in giving our life to the life of another believer so that they might grow and experience the Lord personally in the same way we have. Um, so we're all called to do that. And I, I can't overemphasize, especially in, <clears throat> in missions, how important, you know, when we're discipling people, an example is to brand new Christians. You know, it's important anywhere. You know, the idea of living and leading by example is important in any context of disciple making, but especially in missions, it's so important. Um, people are going to do what they see you doing. You know, if you're discipling somebody, it's important, sure, to explain and to teach them the truth and to, you know to open up God's word with them. But it's so much more important that you live with them, alongside them, so that they might see your example. Um, and and the, the, the thing is, is that it works both ways. When we're talking about discipleship, it can work in a negative way or it can work in a positive way, you know, depending on what kind of example you're setting. And we've seen, this one of the things that we've seen, you know, on the mission field is that when you go into an area that's completely unreached, and you take the gospel and you share it, and people respond to it, and they, you know, become a Christian. Let's say, you're probably the only example of a Christian that those people have ever seen. You know, they're maybe the only one they ever see. Um, and so the decisions you make and the way that you live your life is, you know, has an impact on those people. It shapes from the very beginning of their Christian walk what they believe a Christian is. And. <clears throat> And that's for negative or positive. And, you know, we've seen so many examples, you know, share a negative example first. You know, there's a, there's a group, a Christian organization that is all over the world. You know, I'm not going to say it, but if I said it, we'd all know it. Um, and, you know, what they, we've seen happen with them is they, they'll go into a place, a, a country, and they won't church plant, right? They're not involved in edifying and the building up of the church, but what they'll do is they'll open a, an English club or a community center, right? And uh, they'll invite young people or whoever to come and learn English and hang out. And they'll share the gospel with the kids. You know, they, they do that, and that's wonderful. But as, as they get saved, you know, and keep in mind, we're in a Muslim country where there are no Christians. And these kids get saved or young people get saved, adults, whoever. Do you know what happens? They don't go to church. Why don't they go to church? Because the missionaries that they got saved through don't go to church. They're not there to church plant. They're not there to invest in the local body. So their kids, whoever it is in the clubs that are getting saved, they, they just imitate what they're seeing. Um, and especially in, in, in a Muslim context where a person gets saved, they often will be 
kind of kicked out of their family, you know, ostracized from their family, we've seen how important it is to have a local body of believers, the church, to become that family for those people. Um, so, you know, for us, you know, that, that vision is to, to plant a local body of, of believing Christians that would know the Word of God, that would know Him through it, and that would also serve as a source of encouragement and edification for each other as they walk with Him. Because for some of them, they're not going to have any kind of support group to do that other than the church. So um, that's another thing that you can, you can pray for. Pray for you know, the people that are getting saved. I'm going to share about a few of them in a moment. Um, but pray for them that they would find encouragement and support within the local church that is beginning. You know, it's really small. You know, when I say the church, I'm talking about a small room of five to ten people. My wife, our kids, and five to ten people, dependent on the week, that come together to study the Word of God. So that's our church. Um, so pray for us. You know, pray that we would be a source of encouragement and um, that we would just know how to encourage these individuals that have given their life to the Lord to, to walk with Him and to know Him and that we would just be led of the Lord as we disciple them and we invest in their life. So, um, Paul also goes on and he says <clears throat> in verse 11, talks about, you know, he describes the gospel in verse 9 and 10 and then in verse 11 he says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. You know, describes himself in three ways. And what a great description it is, really, if you think about what Paul was. You know, he was a pastor, he was a, a teacher, a church planter. You know, all of those giftings had to be present with this guy for him to walk in what God called him to do. Um, and I want to just look at those three things for a moment because they're all so necessary in missions, you know, for, for, for Katie and I, for what we do, you know, we're, we're involved in all three of those things, and um, I think it's important to share, because a lot of times I, I meet people, they say, what do you do? You know, you're a missionary, what do you do? Do you just go and, like, give out water bottles and bread? You know, yeah, sometimes, but that's not all that we do. Um, so let's just look at those three things, because they really describe, uh, I think, the life and the role of a missionary in a lot of ways. Um, but the first thing, we'll, we'll actually start with the second one, is Paul says, um, he, he's an apostle. What does the word apostle mean? It's, you know, we don't necessarily have apostles today, but the closest word that you could describe to that is a missionary. It just means one that's sent. One that's sent oftentimes with a message. Um, and for us, you know, that's, as missionaries, the Lord has sent us to a foreign place. You know, we've packed up our family, we've moved there, and what do we do? What do we do when we get, when we get there? I told, I shared with you guys, we're, we're planting a church, we're beginning a Bible study. But you know, when we first got there, we didn't have a clue what to do. We didn't know anybody. First time my wife and my kids ever set foot on the island of Cyprus was when they moved there to live. Um, so what do you do? You know, <clears throat> you're sent to this foreign place. Well, let's look at the next thing that, that Paul says about himself. He's a preacher. What does a preacher do? Preaches the gospel. And when you look at that in the book of Acts, the term preaching is used, it's to non-believers. So here we are in this place where there's no Christians. We want to reach out to them, but we think, okay, how do we do that? So we're, we're thinking, we're praying together. Katie and I, Lord, show us what ways we can use to effectively preach the gospel. Um, 
because you know what? We don't know the language. You know, we don't. We don't. We didn't speak Turkish. We still don't speak it very well. You know, we've only been there 18 months, but especially the first few weeks, we're praying, Lord, how can we use what we have to take the gospel to people? And so the Lord put on our heart to to do an English club, just to a free English-speaking club for people that spoke English. You want to come practice your English? So we get flyers printed out. We we give them out to on different college campuses within the city, just inviting people to come and practice their English. Something you always have as a native English speaker that you can use as a tool for the gospel in a foreign place is English. I've learned that over the last 10 years, if nothing else. Um, so we host this English camp. And, um, you know, as we are giving out the flyers, obviously there's people that don't want these flyers, right? So they throw them on the ground. And one afternoon, I wanted to share this testimony of a girl that's in our church because it, she encourages me, and I, I pray the same will be true for you. She's sitting at a bus stop, and she is depressed, and she is suicidal. She had moved to Cyprus two years before from mainland Turkey, and there's one of those flyers that somebody didn't want. They just threw it on the ground. And she, sitting there, head down at the floor, picks it up, looks at it, invitation to an English club. So she comes. And she speaks English. And then at the end of the club, we invite everyone there to come back on Sunday for church, for Bible study. She comes back for Bible study on Sunday. We were shocked. She was one of about three people that came out of like 80 people. And, you know, even a bigger shocker was she came back the next week and the next week. And probably for two or three months, she came to every Bible study that we had. And during this time, she began coming over to the house uh, hanging out with, with Katie and I and our boys, and she, you know, she loved our boys. Her name's Nil, by the way, for short. And just asking all kinds of questions about what it really means to become a Christian. And, you know, we never pressured her. I said, I'm not going to tell you to, to become a Christian. I hope you do, and I'm praying that you do, but I want you to do it when God leads you to do it so that it's out of your own heart. And one day she calls Katie, and she said, you know what, Katie, I have... I prayed to the Lord and I've just given my life to Him and I've repented of my sin and I want to get baptized. So in December, uh, six months ago, we baptized Neil um, in a freezing pool. It does get cold in Cyprus in the Middle East. Everybody thinks it's warm all the time. It's cold. Um, but we baptized her. And you know, the most encouraging thing was that she, she really gave herself to the Lord. You know, when she made him Lord and Savior, she made him Lord and Savior. And she brought with her to her baptism seven or eight of her closest Turkish friends and, you know, who have no idea what it is to go to church or to be a Christian. They don't have a clue what it means, you know. So we get to share the gospel with all these young people that come to, to Nils' baptism. And, you know, as a result, many of them have been coming back to visit uh, the church on Sundays and, you know, they've had the chance to hear the word of God and um, to hear the gospel for the very first time in their life. And um, you can continue to pray, you know, for not just for Neil, pray for all of the other ones that have been coming and hearing the word of God, that it would just convict their hearts and it would convict them of their sin and that they would really give themselves to him. Um, there's another guy, you know, in our church who has just really given his life to the Lord for the first time as well. But he's from a country called Turkmenistan. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, one of the most oppressed countries in the world, but he, he came to Cyprus, and, um, you know, he's a guy that I meet with every week, and it, it, we baptize him, and when we baptize him, March, April, 
Um, so it's just exciting. You know, those are just a couple of the guys that are involved in, in the fellowship there. But pray for them. Just pray that the Lord would, would continue to grow them in their faith. Um, and then the third thing, you know, we back to the text, teaching. You know, as these people get saved, what are we doing? We're just teaching them, right? We're opening the Word of God every Sunday, and we're, we're, we're explaining it, helping them to understand it for themselves. Um, so that's a little bit about what we do as, as missionaries. You know, we're preaching the gospel as people get saved. We're teaching them to walk with the Lord. Um, verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So Paul says to Timothy, he really gives him a charge here, doesn't he? He says, you need to retain the standard of sound words or sound doctrine, maybe in your translation. Um, how does a pastor, a young guy who's, who's leading this church in Ephesus, how does he make sure that sound teaching is kept hold of and that people learn it and it's passed on to other people. How do you think that happens? I mean, it's remarkably simple and yet, as I said before, there's so many churches that don't do it. It's, you know, people lay hold of and keep sound doctrine and learn it by having it taught to them, don't they? I mean, remarkably easy, you know, teaching the Word of God. You know, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy that he needs to do. Make sure that you Keep hold of sound doctrine and sound teaching that you've heard from me. Um, you know, whatever the Lord has you guys doing. You know, I don't know what context you're you're in. You know, how you're serving Him, what He's called you to do. But whatever it is, there's there's lots of ministries within the church. Make sure that it's centered on the Word of God. You know, maybe you're just, you know, maybe you're doing a men's Bible study. Maybe you're discipling some guys on the side. Maybe you're doing evangelism. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is let's make sure we're centering what we're doing on the Word of God. Because when we do that, you know what? We're not going to stray from it because we're going to know it. You know, you look around at the world today and you think, man, how can we be legalizing this or that and people think this is okay? You know, it's because they don't know the Word of God. They have no standard. They have no moral compass in their life because they've stopped teaching the Word of God. They've stopped putting themselves in a place where they can be taught the Word of God. So whatever it is God's calling you to do, make sure you stay focused on the Word of God. I think the saddest thing for us that we've seen since we've been in Cyprus in the last 18 months is there's a Turkish friend of mine. He's, he's 63 years old. He's been a Christian for 40 years. And he moved, he lived in England for a while, and he moved back to Cyprus, and he started evangelizing. Man, this guy's got an amazing gift of evangelism. And people started getting saved through his gift of evangelism and so naturally, he thinks, okay, well, we need to like start meeting together. We're Christians, and we've believed in the Lord, so let's get together. Let's be a church. But you know what? When they get together, there's about 10 or 15 of them. My friend who leads this group of people, this group of Christians, if you want to use the word pastor, whatever, he doesn't even bring a Bible when they meet together. You know, I mean, forget like using a, a verse of the Bible to launch off of and, and teach something that isn't the Word of God. This guy doesn't even have a Bible. You know, when I first walked in to visit the church, he asked me to, to share there on the spot. And, I mean, I had an English Bible, but I was the only one that had a Bible, period. You know, he had to like look at mine and kind of like translate it into Turkish because they don't use it. 
Um, and so he's got a group of about 15 Christ Turkish Christian people there. And you know what? They don't know anything. You know, they have no scriptural knowledge at all. But it's because they're not taught it. And, and here my friend, he's frustrated because nobody in this church is growing, but the, the dots don't connect that, wow, they're not growing because they're not being fed the Word of God. You know, and it's just so interesting um, how when we do the simple things that God puts in His Word, it works. You know, I don't think it has to be complicated. You know, church shouldn't be complicated. You just do the things you see in Acts. You know, prayer, fellowship, apostles, doctrine, breaking of bread, and things, and the Lord will work, and the church will grow. Um, but the other thing, you know, he mentions there uh, in verse 13 and 14 is he says, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul wasn't just telling Timothy what to do. He wasn't just saying, teach this, do this. They shared life together. You know, Timothy joined him on missionary journeys. So Timothy saw the example that this guy was setting. So he saw the example of faith and love that Paul was living out. You know, that's got to be there again. I mentioned it before. That's also got to be a part of discipleship. You know, who are we giving our lives to? You know, I'm not talking about who are you giving a book about discipleship to and calling that discipleship. Who are you actually investing in? You know, if I said, you know, you know, Greg, who are you investing your life in? You know, you should probably have a name, right, that comes in our mind right away. Yeah, it's this guy or it's these two guys. If we don't have a name, it probably means we're not doing a good job at doing it. So for myself, I always try to challenge myself. Who are the guys, you know, that, God, you've put in my life that I can invest in? I know for me right now, that guy from Turkmenistan, Volkan, and Lawrence, another Nigerian guy from Muslim part of Nigeria in our fellowship. Those are the two guys that, for me, I know the Lord's put in my life, and I have an opportunity to invest in them right now. Um, but I, as a practical way that I try to do that is just give them an opportunity to come and join me. When, as I'm praying and the Lord leads me to, say, go to a, a, a home for troubled um, and challenged teenagers in our city, when the Lord put that on my heart, I said, you know what, I'm going to invite Falcon and Lawrence to come alongside so that we can share that time together so they can see that practical example being lived out. So it's more than just teaching. It's sharing life together as we make, make disciples um, so verse 15 to 18 we'll, we'll look at those three verses and then we'll, we'll wrap up you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phagilius and Hermogenes the Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Man, that's a, that's a statement, isn't it? By probably the most influential man who's ever lived you know, as a Christian all who are in Asia have deserted me. You know, where was most of Paul's ministry? Well, it was in Asia. So now looking back, he's sitting there, right? He's looking back on his life and thinking, wow, like, all of these people that I've invested my life in, they've deserted me. And in, in some ways, you kind of understand why. You know, here's Paul. He's ended up in prison. He's about to die. How many of us 
You know, if, if we knew someone who was in Paul's place, we would look at him and say, yeah, well, if he had been wiser about this or that, or, you know, if he had really thought about it, he wouldn't have ended up there. I, no, I don't know that guy. I don't know anything to do with him. Of course, I mean, that's very understandable, right? Um, it says, all have left me and turned away from me. But, but there's this one guy, right? Onesiphorus. says he often refreshed me not just one time, but often refreshed him, and he wasn't ashamed of me. And even when this guy, Onesiphorus, was in Rome, it says that he eagerly sought Paul out. He actually went and he made an intentional effort to seek him out and to be an encouragement and a source of refreshment for him in that place that he was in, in that prison. Man, what a great example of, a, of this guy. We don't really know anything else about him other than he was an encourager and a refresher to Paul. But how great is it? You know, I, I feel so encouraged when I'm around people that are excited about the things of God, that are encouraging me in what God's called me to do. And, I mean, would you not agree? It's so encouraging and refreshing to be around those kind of people. Um, but I think the challenge is for both sides, what kind of person are you? You know, are you that person that is an encourager and a person that's just refreshing to be around that brings um, just joy, the joy of Christ into a situation when you're around other people, when you come on Sunday mornings, you know, what's, what's, what's our mindset when we're coming together, you know, am I going to be able to, who am I going to be able to encourage today, or are you coming just to be, you know, have attention on your problems and your issues, you know, what's the mindset, that's something I'm always trying to, to pray about, Lord, make me that person that is an encourager and a refresher, and so that's something to think about for you guys personally, but for us, pray for this because one of the biggest challenges, you know, we're not, we're not where Paul was in every sense, but in one sense, we are extremely lonely, you know. We're, we're on this island. We probably only know, what, 50, 50 Christians, you know, and that's all over the island. That's not where we live. So loneliness is a very real part of life <clears throat> for us right now. So you can really pray that God would put another family, a couple, anybody that's encouraging, you know, to come alongside of us and the work that God's doing um, in Cyprus, in the city of Guinea, where we live. Um, that's a big prayer request for us. Um, and just as, you know, I wrap up, I, I'd also say that pray for language for us. Pray that we would be diligent to study, but pray that God would open our minds so that we could really absorb the language and, and get to a point where I mean, my goal is to be able to share share Bible study in in, Turk in the Turkish language. So pray for that for us. Um, um, I think is there anything else I'd kind of miss out that would be important to pray for? Yeah, you know, we we have a really a great open door at the local school where the kids our boys go. Um, they don't they have a pretty rundown playground. We've been wanting to remodel that for a while. Um, so you, you can pray that the Lord would kind of put the pieces in place, the financial provision to do that project and the team to come and do it. Just pray for that as well, just that we would continue to have an open door to be a blessing to that school and to share the, share the truth of God with them and share the gospel with them. So, um, Well, we've looked, at a, we've looked at quite a bit, so I don't know what the Lord's been ministering to your heart as we've looked through, but I would just encourage you, whatever it is, um, whatever he's shown you, whatever he's opened your eyes to, that you know, you need to deal with for yourself. Don't walk out and just, yeah, you know, I'll deal with it later. Really take time as we 
close with a song in a minute, just to do business with the Lord. And, and, and you know, maybe it's just re, you know, asking Him to kindle something in you that's begun to lie dormant because you haven't used it. Maybe it's asking Him to, to give you a new gift to use within the church. But whatever it is that He's ministered to you, just take some time and, and let's just meet with the Lord as we close with a final song. I'll, I'll pray and I'll let Greg come up and close us. So Lord, we do just want to <clears throat> thank you for this time again. It's, it's always special to be able to be with you and to be with your people. It's a blessing. It's an encouragement to hear from your word and just to, to learn more of you. And it's, a, it's a privilege, Lord, to know you, to walk with you. And we just ask that you would lead us this week, that you would be Lord of our lives and that we would please you in all that we do and and Lord we just pray that you would add Lord to your church worldwide and you would just continue your work in your way and in your timing we ask in Jesus name, Amen